greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And as always, it's your host, Patrick and Pat. I know he's kind of been on and off some weeks here. You know, last week I was joined by Leslie for Star Wars because you guys decided to do a family trip. Yeah, leave me out. Yeah. Leave me hey. out on the, the Star Wars episode. Hey, we, we, we told you it was happening. And then all of a sudden you text me going, oh, we're going down to the lake house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so this is, the, that was your fault. I got to say, though, I did rewatch uh, Force Awakens. Yeah. It's not as... Bad as a lot of people well, as we make talk, it out to be. As we talked about in that in that episode, Leslie and I were talking about how um, it was a good kind of starter. It, it was, was a good primer. And then it was everything else that happened afterwards that kind of made it into a whole trash fire of not having things planned out, not having a, a vision, not having George's, no. <laughs> you know, uh, not, not to, I know I crapped on Kathleen Kennedy, um, a bit in that episode of the podcast. And I, I can't help but crap on her a little bit more because they're doing the, uh, gallery series on Disney plus right now, which is doing a behind the scenes. I think it's an eight part docu series. And I assume that they're going to do it with any other shows that they, um, release on the service. And it's got John John Favreau kind of hosting a roundtable, and uh, each episode's looking at different aspects of the series. So the first episode dealt with the directors uh, for each episode, and it was really cool. Um, it also showed why Dave Filoni and John need to really be like in charge of Star Wars, at least for Disney. Um, especially when you hear Dave talking, and not only in that episode, but in the second episode. Dave has such a passion and understanding of Star Wars and was pretty much Lucas's protege while working on Clone Wars before Disney bought everything. And that man knows Star Wars and he knows George Lucas. And so it's it's really good at that. But then the second episode talks about legacy. And Kathleen Kennedy is in on that one, on the roundtable, along with some visual effects people. Dave Filoni's in that as well. Um, and she continues to make herself unlikable. Because as he's talking, she interrupts him and then goes on a spiel. And then he starts presenting a a thing where he wants one person from the table to talk about something that uh, Star Wars innovated for like the business and for like filmmaking and, and stuff like that. And as he before he can even get the final words out, she interrupts and she starts going on on a spiel again. And he even like 
you could see John get a little taken back. He's like, well, well, wait, wait, wait. And he's like, okay, well, go ahead. You go ahead, do your thing. And then we'll do one per person. And it was like she was trying to show she was one of the cool kids, but instead was like making herself less cool. Exactly. So proactively, she she herself is her biggest enemy in making herself likable and appealable to fans, because when, uh, you know, with the comment about, well, we don't have comic books and and uh, video games and movies or, or not movies, but books for like source material for what they could have done with the sequel trilogy. And you have like every EU Star Wars fan who's like, what? <laughs> so, um, well, that was, you know, we, we would have had you in on that episode had you been up here. And uh, I know we're going to do a Clone Wars uh, Season 7 review. Um, I would like for you to be on that one, but I know you've got a lot to get wow. caught up on. So we'll see what what we plan to do around that one. Uh, Leslie will, will be joining us for that. But, yeah, we would have probably had a longer episode had we had you involved in that, uh, considering all the stuff we talked about. Oh, yeah. And the extended cut. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We can have the uh, the Peter Jackson extended cut version of it where it's got like three hours of extra footage. <laughs> but anyways, this week's of the uh, week's episode is um, something that you and I have kind of been spitballing about what we want to do with some other films, um, films with similar themes or similar stories. And uh, we originally were going to try to do the fuzz versus the happy time murders, but we both haven't really had a chance to get that watched. And we were kind of debating about what we wanted to watch this week and cover for the podcast. And I have heard a lot of a buzz around the lodge and um, I've seen a lot of people recently tweeting about it. It's currently on Hulu streaming. And uh, so I, you know, threw that out to you and we, a couple other movies that we were potentially going to cover. And after I watched it, it reminded me of another film that was made about uh, seven years prior to it, a little lower budget, um, you know, WWE studios, which I still can't believe is a thing that does movies, um, you know, had kind of a similar premise, uh, Barricade with Eric McCormick. And uh, so I was like, why don't we just, you know, watch both of these and kind of do a compare and contrast, which one? Uh, we liked better and why, uh, which one we thought executed the, the kind of the idea a little bit better. So, uh, I think we'll, what we'll do first is we'll ta- we'll play the trailer for the lodge and then we will, um, you know, do a little short discussion about it and then we'll play the trailer for barricade and then we'll have a short discussion about that and then we'll come out with our winner for, uh, essentially because it's kind of a versus mashup uh see who who did better so we're gonna go ahead and play the trailer for you guys and then we'll get into it so how would you feel about going to the mountains for christmas with grace she really wants to get to know you guys That's our mom's hat. Oh, I'm sorry. You okay? I don't want to leave you here with the kids if you're not feeling up to it. Uh, I'm feeling fine. It was my idea, and it's a couple days. I can do a couple days. Okay, guys, I'm off. Have fun. What is that? That's crazy. Everyone committed suicide except her. Repent, and you will find salvation. Guys? 
things are very uncomfortable between us, and we're stuck in a house together. So the premise for this one is a soon-to-be stepmom is snowed in with her fiancé's two children at a remote holiday village. It's really more just a cabin out in the middle of nowhere. But uh, just as relations begin to thaw between the trio, some strange and frightening events take place. Uh, so I, I classify this movie, um, and there's a particular style of these that we're seeing recently, a lot coming from A24 uh, studio that are what I consider like art house horror, where they're trying to be overly like artistic and, and uh, vague and uh, trying to be very intellectual than really like going with the essence of what a horror film is. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Like something like The Witch really works for me because of the period piece it's set in. Uh, and The Lighthouse, like that really works for me. But something like Hereditary, which this draws kind of very strong parallels with, especially with like the dollhouse um, in this film, uh, it, it, it kind of does that. And I think that's where I have some issues with the film. Um, but it's very competently put together. It's very well act, uh, acted by uh, the cast. It's got uh, Jade Martell, who I'm seeing in everything now, ever since he showed up in It. Uh, obviously, It Chapter 2. Uh, he's in Knives Out. He's in Defending Jacob. He's in this. Uh, I swear I just watched him in something else not that long ago as well. Uh, so he's showing up, and of course now he's kind of showing up as this creepy kid. Uh, I know my parents are also watching Defending Jacob, and my mom goes, he's just, there's something about him, and he's kind of weird and creepy. Um, so he's, he's I think, one of the very strong factors in this film that, that does make it intriguing and uh, a good watch. Riley uh, Coe, if I'm saying her last name right, I've seen her in a few uh, few things, and, and pardon if you're hearing the cat in the background, he, he wants to... Uh, have some fun with us, I guess. But uh, those two play off really well off of each other in the film. Um, but there are story elements that are really kind of are what my issue is with the film. What uh, what thoughts do you have right now? So I got to say that it's a 
like you said, it goes along in a very artsy fashion. But the first couple scenes, like, I didn't expect for the mom to blow her head off, like, on camera. Right. And, and, <laughs> and that's not much of a spoiler. It happens within, like, the first five minutes of the film. And one thing I didn't catch uh, until later was that's Alicia Silverstone. Mm-hmm. Looks completely different now than from what I remember in the 90s. But yeah. that's age. But go ahead. And I, I think it was interesting because, I mean, obviously she's a lot better looking than who the dad left her for. <laughs> and I, I guess, like, they never really touched on it, but it was I guess it was implied that he's a psychologist or something. I thought he was a, a, a journalist, but... Um... Or... See, it's not really clear, and that's part of what I have with the issue with it. Like a lot of character background is is not well established. Uh, you don't know. I mean, obviously, he works in a profession that he makes a lot of money because just even their normal house is super mm-hmm. nice, um, and the cabin is is really nice, or the lodge, whatever you want to call it, is is very very nice, and it's very isolated. So you have to have money, um, and then I. See, I thought I heard a line, and I could be wrong. I thought one of the kids said that she was his boss, but I, or that maybe he was her boss. I, I'm not exactly certain, and that's that's again like that's part of the problem with this is there's not a lot of character development before the fo- before the film starts, or not really before the film starts, but as the film is setting up the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you get enough of an aspect of the mom at the very beginning because, like, she serves her purpose. Like, you get the understanding she's upset. She wants to kind of still fix things with him. But when they go over to the house at the very beginning, she he's like, all right, I got the divorce papers. And and also I'm marrying this other chick. <laughs> right, right. And, and again, like, also um, – and, and that's another thing about this movie, too, is there's very uh, little empathy for any of the characters – there's some towards Grace when we finally meet her and we, we get to know her a little bit, mm-hmm. but a lot of that goes away uh, as the film kind of progresses. It's You don't really care for the dad, who I, I actually didn't recognize as Richard Armitage um, at all, and if you're not familiar with him, he is uh, Thorne Oakenshield from The Hobbit, and he does the voice for Trevor Belmont in the Castlevania series. Uh, and, I mean, it's weird hearing him with an American accent, so... That's part of it. I knew I recognized who he was or who I recognized him at least, but I didn't know what I recognized him from. Um, And there's nothing really redeeming about him. Uh, He like even not understanding that the kids are still going through their grief and everything. And like he it's six only six months after his wife passes away. He's like, by the way, I'm going to marry her. We're going to go on a trip together. And the kids are like, no. And this all would have, of course, been avoided had he listened to his kids. And another thing I found odd was that he was at the funeral. No, nah. I, I get, I get that he's still technically, but but he's got to be there for the kids, you know. But yeah, I think that like she probably told her family what was going on. They probably wouldn't want to see it. Um, possibly, and and I also have, and this is kind of a, a an ignorance part on on me. Because uh, this film has a lot of religious iconography and uh, subtext and not even subtext. Uh, but it, from my recollection, and it may be just with Catholicism in general, 
Uh, it may be different with different religions. And of course, it's not overly specified what denomination they are or anything like that. But I, I thought when you committed suicide, you could not, I mean, obviously you don't receive last rites, uh, but you would not get like a church burial or a church service. Um, so I don't know if that's purely related to Catholicism or if that's kind of spread through most of, most of the religions out there, um, that practice Christianity, but I really had an issue with that kind of, but if someone, you know, wants to prove me wrong on that, I'm more than welcome to concede that point. Cause I'm, it's just an ignorance part for me. It's just basic knowledge that I have that I can't really verify on my own right now. But I, I kind of had an issue with that. And again, like the kids, you, you kind of side with the kids at the beginning and like you can understand where they're coming from, why they don't want to go on this trip, uh, why they're kind of very nonchalant towards her and why they want to treat her like crap. And she's doing everything she can to try to uh, ingratiate herself with the kids. Um, it's just like once it hits that twist things start really kind of falling apart. And uh, although I like kind of the tense moments, it's really the lack of development of character and the lack of, um, I guess feeling any real, um, danger. I mean, there, there are moments like I, obviously when she falls through the ice, uh, the fishing hole, when she's trying to get, make sure Mia, or was it Mia? Um, yeah, Mia is not going to fall into it. She ends up falling it into herself. Um, she also doesn't, because like they, the kids even mentioned to the dad that she's psycho, and we don't know where they got that information from. Assume it's from the mom, because you uh-huh. know most disgruntled ex-wives are going to call the the new up and comer as you know crazy psycho bitch. But uh, we a little justified. <laughs> well, yes, this is very true, and and, and that's it, the thing. Like, so once you get that uh, aspect, you get this um, concept of a cult being introduced, and that doesn't really get fully explored or explained. Um, but she's also on pills, and I would think if you're going to potentially marry someone uh, and enter into a very strong commitment you're going to have explained to them that you have some type of problem that you need medication for. Cause she actively hides the pills, um, before he leaves for the couple of days. And that's where I start losing empathy for her is like, had he, uh, had she made him aware, like he would have been like, nah, I'm not leaving. And then things again would still probably played out just fine. Um, I do like the concept of purgatory that the film explores. I don't like how it's executed at the end. Um, and I don't want to really go into details, uh, that would potentially spoil things for everyone else, but there is a twist. Uh, you might see it coming. I know I saw it coming. You saw it coming. Um, but I, I kind of, I kind of wished it had done things a little differently. Um, more like how the second film we'll talk about did it, uh, or, at least I think the second film executed it better. And I wish that this film would have stayed to track on, on what it was uh, setting up versus having its twist to it. Um, so any, any other things you want to say? I like the aspect of the, it kind of being the kids. This is kind of a spoiler, but all right, we're, <laughs> we'll issue a minor spoiler alert. Minor if you don't, spoiler. don't want to, don't want to have anything spoiled. 
stop the podcast, go watch the movie on Hulu, and then come back. Uh, but you have been warned, so okay, go ahead. How it was kind of like a something that the kids were doing that went on too long, and they didn't know how to correct it. Right. Uh, they they didn't they didn't know when to stop and. Uh, again, it comes to the pills. Like mm-hmm. once once pills are involved, that's when things should have stopped. Yeah. And again, it's kids being kids uh, for for their part. But it, it's like I, I mean, if I were in that situation, I was one of those kids. And as soon as that starts coming up and seeing how frantic um, Grace is, I would be like, all right, we we got nixed this like this is done like we can't we can't do this um but i do like these and and, uh, and what's also kind of funny is we've been in this period of of pandemic and stay at home and a lot of people are kind of having the cabin fever wanting to get out and it's really interesting that you know unintentionally we decided to cover these two movies that almost deal with that type of uh topic mm-hmm. um i also find it very hard to believe that a woman without any type of um coats i know she's covered in blankets and she has like a, a fur crossing we don't know how far um in the snow and finding that weird building that doesn't even make sense um what like, I, I can't believe that she wouldn't have some type of frostbite or... Well, she did on her face. Uh, I guess, yeah. I guess that's right. And, um, and on their hands. I just I, I just don't see someone necessarily surviving that. Um, and I I don't necessarily think that the building was real. See, it, it, that's, that's part of this problem with this film is it, it goes too far on the art side. And I, I get it. Like, you don't want to over-explain your narrative you want to have some things that are open to interpretation but it, it doesn't do it well enough and um, that's kind of why i like the ending because it did kind of leave it on a and not necessarily closing out the right I, the ending i thought was good regardless of, of anything else about that i didn't like about the film i did think that the end that end scene was really good um again like the acting on this is, is fantastic i think it just it needed some tweaks on the writing. It was already an hour and 48 minute film. I don't know if maybe you need to adjust some of that. Cause I felt some things were a little unnecessary. Some scenes that didn't really play out or mean anything. Um, it, it, I, I think it needed maybe an extra, maybe 10, 15 minutes of either restructure 10 or 15 minutes or 10 or 15 minutes of more explanation like the the cult seems to be like it's an important thing they discover it at the very beginning of the film there's Uh, constant flashbacks there's constant flashbacks she has dreams about the cult leader who was her father but it never really plays out it only plays out in her her um not mental capacity but but where her breakdown happens at near the end of the film when she's uh leaning on the burnt logs um to kind of punish herself uh, with some like extreme sex of Christianity would do with like flagellate themselves for sinning and stuff like that. And uh, that it was like through pain, they were, they were given repentance um, or forgiveness. So I, I mean, overall, like there are elements about this film I really like. And I think part of 
part of what hurt it for me was kind of maybe some overhyping I had seen on Twitter, seeing people talk about Mm it. Um, I mean, I knew, I knew about the film before it ever came to Hulu. Um, I had wanted to see it, but I think it had a limited run or limited release. So I never got out to see it. I never had watched the trailer, but then as soon as it hit Hulu, everyone on Twitter, uh, and it's not their fault, but you know, it, it hit everyone else differently. And I even saw a review on IMDb where the, the person was like this, this, and I hate this phrase. It shook me or I was shook. It's like, no, you were shaken. And I didn't find anything necessarily about the film that overall disturbed me. I've seen far more disturbing films no, that, definitely. that like strike me more at a core. I would say Midsummer is more like, um, one of those films that I find kind of disturbing in the sense of, uh, of some of the imagery that it has and, and how the story plays out in that final end. Although you're kind of agreeing with, um, Florence Pugh's character and like kind of happy for her empowerment. You're still also like, Holy shit, this all just happened and that place is burning and whatnot. Um, but you can, that, and, and like hereditary again, also kind of has that same feeling like, okay, we're going to, do this really disturbing scene with the daughter and her head. But then the rest of the film like tries to top that moment and it doesn't. And this film never felt like it, it reached that moment where it was trying to be like, this is the most, like the, the most disturbing scene is the mother at the very beginning. Yeah, It's like you, you start out that strong. You're never going to top that moment. And here it spends like the rest of the film trying to, achieve what that what those first five minutes achieves and it doesn't succeed um but it doesn't mean like it's a it's a bad movie uh i watched it from start to end i was very invested into it i i i uh i wasn't like oh this is boring or anything like that it just story elements didn't play out for me there were a few plot holes um and ultimately it just it it didn't fully work for me i think one of them that one of the plot holes for me that really didn't work was the power. Yeah. You you would think that the kids messed with the power. Right. But I, I guess they, they didn't. Well, I, I think that <laughs> or they... Or maybe they did and then they just couldn't get it back on. They, I think they messed with the power, but it was it's the generator. That doesn't make sense. The generator not working near the end of the film. That too. That, that doesn't that doesn't make sense because you would just need fuel as far as I know. I mean, I'm not an electrician. I'm not an engineer. I don't necessarily know how generators fully work, but I know you need gas to run it. And either it was out of gas or something else was broken on it before they even got there and they just didn't know it. But again, it's something that's not explained and not explored. Um, So uh, of course there's a dog in the movie. And uh, this was one thing I kept thinking. The dog's name is Grady. Do not go anywhere where you're going to get snowed in with anybody named Grady. And do you get what I'm referencing? Nope. Okay. The Shining. One of the caretakers was the great was Grady, and he's the one who killed his, his twins and everything. So it just was something that kind of funny flashed in my head. But you know, the dog. As soon as I saw the dog, it's like that dog's gonna end up dead. Poor doggo. But dogs don't last in horror movies. No, no, they really don't. Some manage to get away, but uh, as far also as from what I understand, uh, from The Last of Us Two, you can actually kill dogs in that, and uh, that was a, a uh, 
tout uh, that GameStop apparently was highlighting one of their recent like newsletters or something was that you could kill dogs and I think it backfired on them. <laughs> I mean, every everything's backfiring for GameStop. Let's let's be honest. But uh, yeah, it's not like you actively go out trying to kill dogs. Like, hey, play this video game. You can actively kill puppies. Unless you're a sociopath or a psychopath, you know. I don't know, but uh, for for a rating on this film, I, I think I'm going to go on on a three. Um, I know that's kind of low for me on, on some of these horrors. And I, and I it, it's part of this again, it's part of this art house horror that I think is is trying too hard. Um, it, it's got a very strong score, very strong acting. It's very competently shot. Um, it's atmospheric. But I think it's too atmospheric for its own sake. Like it's it's sacrificing elements that could amp up the horror, uh, amp up the dread, uh, really kind of give us feeling like there are stakes in this film. And I never fully felt that the stakes were there. Had it played the way I would have preferred it to play out, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Um, But I can't really explain why. Um, Maybe when we get to the comparison of this, so like if anybody is... Uh, watching both and then they want to understand uh, but they don't want anything spoiled we'll save it for the end of the podcast uh, when we start comparing the two movies so that nothing's really spoiled for anybody but that's where i land is a, a three out of five uh, you know i'm i'm leaning towards a 3.5 okay and I, and I think that overall it was just it was well shot yeah it was acted well and the the plot holes while they kind of sound big, I, I can overlook them. I can agree with that. For for scoring. Yeah. But I just wish that it would have explained some of those things a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely um, has a problem with, again, like you want to show the audience, you don't want to tell the audience, but at some some points you do have to tell the audience. Like you can't leave everything up to be super ambiguous because then no one's going to get it and no one likes feeling dumb when they're watching a movie. So it's it's like uh, these things where I see a lot of people writing these articles. And, uh, I, you know, it's really funny because I meant to actually start talking about this before uh, we started the pod or before we started the episode or kind of when we started the episode uh, talking about Joe Bob's um, last drive in returning back on on Shutter. And uh, he was this last week he was talking um, we did he did the movies Brain Damage and Deep Red. And he was I was watching a little bit of the Deep Red one because I can never stay up late enough to make it through the second film. But uh, he was talking about how someone wrote uh, a book talking about all these topics and explorations of themes in Dario Argento's Deep Red. And he's just like, no. Like, you know, sometimes a movie is just a movie. It doesn't need to be anything um, existential or philosophical. Um, and I don't ever truly find horror, the, the meaning for horror films to be philosophical. Um, so I, I think that there's something to appreciate about that. And uh, I just feel like it needed to do um, a little more telling and amp up a little bit more at the dread. So... Uh, any other final thoughts you want to say about this one? No, I think I'm good on this one for um, now. I'll, I'll right. touch on a couple things later. Right. All right. So the next film we're going to be talking about here is Barricade. And I am going to play the trailer for you guys. 
Thanks. You got plenty. Let's go. Appreciate it. Oh, no, it's free candy day. So Barricade is uh, from 2012, and the basic premise for this one is a father's quiet retreat to the woods with his two children turns into a fight for survival. Um, So very similar premise to The Lodge. Uh, This one, although being a a little, well, not a little, a lot more on the low budget end of things, more of an independent feel, kind of has also like a almost made for TV um, type of aesthetic to it. Uh, but it stars Eric McCormick as um, Terrence Shade. He is taking his uh, you know children on a trip that he had talked about with his recently deceased wife about a year. You know, it was a year ago. Uh, it's been a year since she passed away, but she um, had recommended that they go to this cabin that she used to go to as a kid uh, with her family to spend Christmas and everything. Um, and so he finally decides to take the kids up there and uh hilarity ensues i guess you know uh, not <laughs> no no not not fun hijinks with the super, kids super fun times it's not super fun times well Play the snow. It, yeah you know it's snow. see this is the thing snow if you go where it snows you just shouldn't go um but this um deals more of kind of dealing with a lot more on the grief side of things than than kind of what uh, the lodge dealt with. Uh, it's a little more ambiguous on what is out there uh, in the woods uh, that is uh, kind of keeping them captive in in the in the cabin. Um, and there's a lot of um, weird moments that I, I don't exactly want to say what they are because it could give away the end and we'll we'll talk about that when we get into the comparison section of the podcast. Uh, but this was one that I saw prior to the lodge. Like I, it was actually one that I actively stayed away from. I, I used to not like Eric McCormick. Uh, not that I had any specific reason why. Um, I just didn't, I was not a Will and Grace fan. Like I never got into the show or anything like that. And that was like the only thing I kind of knew he was from. Uh, and then I'd see him kind of guest spot on like Law and Order and some stuff like that. So I never really was exposed to his acting a whole lot. And then uh, Netflix um, distributed uh, the Canadian series Travelers, uh, which then it ended up picking it up for its third and final season. And he's one of the main characters in it. And I really kind of got interested in in uh, in his films or not necessarily his films, but in his acting and, and really kind of growing up. He grew on me. Um, so I think 
I don't know if it was when Travelers came uh, came out that I saw this or if I saw it prior to Travelers, but I saw it and I was like, actually, not bad. I don't know why I was kind of hesitant to watch it. It may have just been him. Um, but once I watched it, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I like where the story went. Um, I, I was very captivated by it. Um, so after watching The Lodge, I was like, I feel like this did it better. Um, so we'll, we'll leave that again for, for the, uh, the, the kind of debate part of this. Uh, but it, it, it just, I felt like this film worked better mainly because of his performance. It's the performance is solely focused on him. The kids are, are not great. There, there's no doubt about that. They're, we need more towards the bad side of acting. Yes. And probably not at any fault of theirs. They probably just weren't being directed properly. I don't know if it's that or if the kids just aren't really, although they're the focus of the, of the story, they're not really the focus characters. It, it is all focused on him. So I think like his character gets the most development. His character gets the most story and they're there just to be this thing that he needs to protect. Um, so it, it just, it doesn't really round them out in the sense of the lodge with the kids and that, where the kids are kind of the central focus other than grace. Like those kids are the point of the movie. And, um, and again, like probably better developed actors, uh, like I said, this one kind of feels more like a TV movie, so your caliber of acting is far less. They, it felt like they were reading lines to you. Yes, yes, it, it does. It, it it definitely does because I, I hadn't rewatched it since I first saw it until before this podcast because I definitely didn't want to go. Oh yeah, off of rose colored glasses. This was an amazing movie. There are some glaring flaws. Uh, there are a lot of issues with it. Um, I, the hazy camera. Uh, it gets a little tiresome because it starts to get overdone quite a lot in the second half of the film. Um, also, when does he learn he needs to keep his eye on the road? <laughs> Never. Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, at the beginning, like, okay, it's understandable. He looks back at, at his kid and, and a, a wolf or whatever, you know, runs yeah. out in the middle of the road and he hits it. Okay, fine. Now you're trying to get away from the house and save your sick kids, and you're happening to be just looking back uh, on them and not paying attention to snow-covered roads, <laughs> kind of asking for yourself to get in that car accident. Um, so uh, other story elements, I, I, I can't really talk too much without spoiling things, but I did like how the story developed. I liked how um, you don't know how the wife dies until near the end of the film, um, so I like that it develops a lot of that through flashbacks. Um, and I I did kind of like this supernatural element that it added to it and then yet questioned. Uh, the great Donnelly Rhodes is in this, who uh, passed away, I think, last year. Um, God rest his soul. Uh, Donnelly has been in a bunch of things. He's been a character actor. He was uh, in the, um, uh, the Wendigo episode of uh, Supernatural from the first season. Uh, he's the survivor, the one who shows him the scars on his yeah. chest. Uh, he was on Battlestar Galactica. Uh, he was Outer Limits. Uh, I mean, the guy is, is great. I love whenever I see him show up and stuff and uh, sorely miss. But he has a kind of smaller, minor role in this. But he's also kind of the catalyst for the film. 
um, to which I will explain when we get more into the comparison part of this. But uh, I think this one does better kind of creating an atmosphere. Um, I, I like that the cabin's a little more run down versus the really nice, clean cabin we get in the lodge. Um, one of the scenes that really sticks out in my head and it still stuck out like when rewatching it is when he is looking for the kids and he's hearing the clinking and he goes downstairs in the kitchen and the, the pot is grimy and it's bubbling over and there you can see like the mac and cheese burnt and looking disgusting and the kitchen's just kind of torn apart and he and it's his daughter and she's like not convincingly eating mac and cheese like there were a lot of uh gags like are not gags but goofs of errors um that i don't know if i picked up the first time i certainly picked some up this time um like there's a, a scene when the uh he goes into the bathroom and the pills are all strewn out on the floor and uh he closes the the cabinet but then as like he's talking to the kids the cabinet's open and then when it shifts camera focus again the cabinet's closed and stuff like that so there's some small things like that but uh that scene in the kitchen really is the one that sticks out to me the most. It still sticks out to me. Um, also both these films are taking place at Christmas. Um, so they fit in the kind of the Christmas horror aspect a little bit. Um, so I don't have much else I want to say about it. Although I still enjoyed it on the second rewatch. I picked up more flaws on it, but I still, uh, liked it more than what I saw from the watch. So what do you have? And we were talking about it earlier, how I think that while the Lodge may not have tried to misdirect people enough, I think this one was trying to do too much. Mm -hmm. And at some point, it gets tiresome because you're just like, okay, so nothing's real then. (laughs) Well, I think think there's a point to that, um, to which we'll we'll discuss when we get to the kind of the comparison part. Um, So that's where we can deal with spoilers. Um, but I, I think that there was a, a real reason for it, um, that I think like had the lodge taken maybe half of what they tried with this one and incorporated it, it might've worked a little bit better. Um, but I, I really do think it was an intentional moment because he's sick. The kids are sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's on antidepressants antidep- and he's mixing it with alcohol. And, and that's the other thing, but another comparison between these two films, you have two main characters who are on pills mm-hmm. um, and not that they shouldn't be on medication, but you have one who is, uh, who's super reliant on it and then she's missing it. Mm-hmm. And you have one who's maybe um, over reliant in the sense that maybe, cause he's only supposed to like take one, uh, yeah. tablet and he's taking two and then he's like you said he's mixing it with alcohol so that plays into another factor into his character and what he's doing because um, I mean it's these films are dealing with grief in two different ways and and that's like these films are almost the exact polar opposites of each other character wise and story wise mm-hmm. like your main protagonist if you can call her that in the lodge is a woman and the 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 son is older and the daughter is younger. And in this, you have the protagonist being uh, the father and the daughter's older and the son is younger. So it's a really weird polar opposite. That's why I said, like when watching, I'm like, ah, I feel like this did it better, but um, there are a lot of similarities between the two films. And it, it is just a very interesting aspect um, 
about the kind of what you're saying, like they're trying too much. But mm-hmm. uh, any other things you want to say? Um, I did like how it was going into like a supernatural thing, but then it shifts. Yeah, yeah. and then it shifts. But I wish it would have kind of stuck with that. So you 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 and I are kind of just like these movies are on the polar opposites <laughs> of these films. I, I wish it would have stuck with the supernatural aspect to it, but then it, when it shifts, it kind of goes into like your. I'm trying to find the right way to describe this, but like the hand in the tub. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm trying to like. Kind of like a Japanese style. Oh, horror. yeah, yeah. Like, kind of like what you're thinking, like, with uh, the ring or the yeah. brush. Yeah. It kind of shifts over to that, and I'm like, that was a little weird. Yeah, the the tub scene is, is probably my least favorite um, uh, of, the, of the whole film. It's not something I like, because it's, it's one that's overdone, and only one movie, I think, pulls off a tub scene like that perfectly, and that's Grave Encounters. Um, you've seen Grave Encounters, mm-hmm. right? So, like, when they... Um, are trying like the one guy uh goes I, I can't remember if it's one guy or two guys i know the uh it's tc is the one who ends up going into it and they can't find it but it's like the tub has blood or something mm-hmm. and they're digging in it and then tc gets drugged into it and then they like look in there and the tub's empty like that's the best like tub scene that i can kind of think of off nightmare on elm street <laughs> I mean, that's that's a little <laughs> bit different, and you're getting on the little kind of creepy side. There. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> whatever. But uh, without going into more detail about the film, without uh, like spoiling anything, I'm just gonna go ahead and grade it. Um, for me, this one lands on a on a three point five four ish range. I know it's higher higher than what you're going to rate it, but uh, again, like I just feel like this film executed its its purpose its story its elements a lot better than the lodge did uh which i know you don't agree with so what what's your score uh, and i'm gonna land on a, a three yeah i kind of figured that just the kids really kind of drugged down the movie uh, I, and i can i can understand that kids are kids are really hard to do in horror films uh, convincing kids mm-hmm. like you and i both of the unpopular opinion think the babadook is awful and and a lot of that rides on the kid and and he's just so unbearable in that film. Um, so I, I can I can respect that. I can understand that. And I will say the kids in the lodge are better than the kids in uh, Barricade. Oh, so there there is really no contest in that aspect. But um, all right, guys, so we're going to go into kind of a debate ish thing right now. Uh, we're going to get into spoilers. So if you want nothing fully spoiled for you, go ahead, go watch the movies. Uh, the lodge is on Hulu and barricade is on prime. Um, so if you have those subscriptions, go ahead and check them out. Uh, and if you don't come back, well, we'll see you next time. But, uh, if everyone's sticking around, we're going to get into it. All right. So, my thing with the lodge is I would have preferred it to stay supernatural. I would have loved it be purgatory because it fits with everything else that they're talking about in the film with sin, with repenting, uh, the kind of desolate snow landscape, no one else being around the stuff that the kids made to kind of convince her that they're dead. Um, it just all works for me. And the, when you come to the revelation that it is the kids doing this to kind of just be pissy kids because they're mad that their mom died, which 
understandable. I get it. Your dad's seen a new woman. You don't want her to be your mom. But you're going so far because you found an article about her being part of a cult and being the only one that didn't commit suicide. Uh, and you decide to really, like, she's done nothing to you. I mean, we don't even know if she's really the reason why the marriage broke apart. Like, again, that's where they needed to work a little bit more on the story element. Um, as far as we know, as, as we could know, dad just decided to divorce mom and then he started, or well, leave mom. And then he just started, decided to start dating Grace or Grace didn't necessarily know right away he was married. Dad's cheating. Like he's not an empathetic character at all in the film. Even when he tries to be and you want to go, yeah, like I'd like to see them all there together. Work's more important. Granted, she says, I'm going to be fine. It's only a couple days. Regardless, you don't leave your kids from your previous marriage whose mom committed suicide with someone who is entering into their lives that you know they are not happy to be on that trip with. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's see. There's a lot to unpack in this movie, I think. So... I'm going to start with the beginning. So he has his own house and she has her own house, but I guarantee you like neither of them could afford having both of them unless he's doing like something super. Right. Uh, like he, like he obviously were... makes money. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, yeah, who knows about the, like, what the mom was doing. Like, we don't get enough to know about her character, nor, nor do we. Well, there's that. <laughs> um, there was also, see, there's also something else that doesn't work out with me on that film is, uh, and I even think that uh, th- she's credited in the movie, or at least on IMDb, the character of Wendy, who's supposed to have a key to the place and be able to, you know, check on them if anything's gone wrong or something like that. Um, we never see that character. We never get that. And like when she's walking up with Grady, Grady's body, I was thinking it was this Wendy character. And I was like, oh, this is going to introduce a whole new aspect to, okay, the kids have been telling this lie. Grace still believes that they're or starting to believe that they're in purgatory. Now this outside character is going to come in and shake things up. And Grace is going to just lose her shit. And that never happened. And I think that would have been a really interesting way to take it if you were going to keep it in the ground of realism. Whereas I think with Barricade, it leans so much on the supernatural, like you said, uh, and it tries so hard to convince you that the supernatural is real. But you but the, it, there's a line that the that the uh, the house says that Donnelly Rhodes character says uh, as he's as they're taking him out. And I. <laughs> I hate him at that moment as well because I think he should understand why uh, Terrence attacked him mm-hmm. uh, because he was sick. He lied that he was sick. He touched his kids, touched their stuff, shook his hand, like not with the intent of giving them a bug or anything like yeah. that, but it caused them to all get super sick, to have fevers um, to then start hallucinating also because the pills playing a factor into that, that here he's thinking his kids are, are going to die because he has no way to get them to a hospital. 
And then he realizes that House is the reason he he uh, that they're all sick. But the line that House says is like, oh, he was, you know, in such a fever. I'm I'm sure he didn't know what uh, was going on, but he'll get what's coming to him. And I'm like, well, hang on a second. You got to understand, like you said, he he was out of his mind, like he was hallucinating. He was running this who knows how how high of a fever enough that he's going to put his son in an ice water bath. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, would you I think I would like to think if I were him in that situation, if I were house, I would be like, I get it. Like, I really don't want to press charges on this man. He was trying to protect his kids like he thought his kids were going to die. They were in a blizzard. I got him sick. Like there's a personal responsibility thing there, but the whole movie plays like a fever dream. And that's why I feel like those constant shots that are trying too hard is the narrative taking on that fever dream like state. Yeah. Um, another thing in the lodge is the kid's cell phone works. Yeah. And she's in contact with the dad and like you you get the impression that she's been in constant contact with him up until probably like the last day maybe right. or like the day day before, before maybe day before cell phone batteries don't last that long no. i can tell you that especially if you're a kid <laughs> kids are on playing the, games yeah. i mean hell, i my phone battery it's constantly It'll on last charging. like 8 hours tops right <laughs> well and there's like uh we kind of while we were playing the trailer for barricade uh you and i were talking and it has to either she is already the battery's already dead when she's pretending to be talking to her yeah. dad and uh, grace walks in on her or her phone conveniently died at that moment. Um, so, but but also when you get to the dad at the end, he's like, "Hey, I've been you know, I've talked to the kids, but I haven't heard from you." Like, it wasn't there hasn't been enough time for him to be like, "Oh shit, something's going on here. I need to get up there." Like, so someone has to, you know. It just it doesn't work. Like the logistics of it doesn't really work yeah. for me. You would think that he would have wanted to be in contact with her. Right. Like, throughout. Especially... you're leaving your kids with something. Especially when she leaves him a message. And and she says, hey, I'm, you know, looking forward to hearing from you. And then you call. You don't get an answer. You call. You don't get an answer. Don't you start going, okay, something's weird. Or when you're talking to the kids, hey, can you put Grace on the phone? Like, you know, something like that. And... But I liked the concept... uh, Well, and obviously... And I picked up on it right away when he is offering her the hot chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's drugged, obviously, yeah. to keep her out so they can do all the stuff that they want to do. Um, but I liked the dream story he came up with. Like, we had the gas furnace on. I dreamt that we suffocated and we died. Like, that was believable enough to me that I wish it would have kept that aspect to it that it would have been this sense of purgatory and we come to the end because there's even uh, a bit that kind of bothers me about barricade that i wish it would have done um that this film like kind of could have done as well is that by the end of it they could have come out and they could have still been alive like they could have all just woken up like dad shows up rescues them all they waking up in the ambulance or something like that from uh gas inhalation Whereas in Barricade, 
I'm still, even though everyone sees the kids at the end, I'm still like not a hundred percent convinced that his kids are alive. Like, I think that that would have played out better where he goes back down and like, he's sitting on the bed and he's remembering everything and everything he did the house and, and everything that actually happened. Mm-hmm. And then he, and then the kids say, Oh, Hey, you know, we're fine. And he's like, Oh, your fever's broken. Blah, blah, blah. When they're bringing house down from the attic, when they look into the room, I was expecting them to see just him like acting like the kids were still alive. Like, you know, we're seeing the kids still dead in bed and he's just acting like they're still alive. I think that would have been a more compelling uh, ending to the film. But I still not even though they get into the ambulance and everything, they go driving on. I'm still not 100 percent convinced that the kids are alive. And then you get the ending shot of the curtains being pulled back which means something was there at the house. So some of the supernatural elements that play in the film happen, but we don't still can't tell what was real and what was fever dream. So I, I it's, that's why I feel like barricade does it better. Cause it's still, it's one of those things, like I said, it's, it's telling you enough, but it's not showing or it's showing you more than it's telling you, but it's still leaving enough there for an audience to, have some interpretation or open interpretation. Whereas the lodge it's, uh, it's very kind of straightforward. It has a little bit of speculation in the middle at the end. I I knew what was going to happen to the dad. Um, but I still think the final shot of them at the dinner table is fantastic. fantastic. And, And the fact that when she's, uh, singing near to my God, the, they start joining in, which, I don't know if it's meant to be more of symbolism of like Stockholm syndrome or if she has now convinced them that this is all turning into something supernatural. I'd I'd lean towards the Stockholm syndrome because at this point, like they tried to escape and like the car is stuck or whatever yeah. but like i think that they're just doing whatever they can to like well <laughs> stay alive at that point point. and i also wonder and i can't quite remember if she goes out and she's pointing the gun at them is she pointing the gun at them or she have the gun down like, she has the gun down at okay because like if you're trying to prove to people that you're in purgatory and stuff i would have assumed because she pulled the gun on herself obviously the chamber was empty uh she shoots the or shoots the father mm-hmm. i would have assumed she would have tried to do the same to the kids i yeah i would have thought the same too so um maybe if we could have gotten a, a little bit there before that dinner table sequence um i would have even found it more even though i i like it the way it is and i think it ends perfectly i think what would have been even more compelling is if she had shot the kids she's got the kids at the dinner table and then it's just her there singing nearer my god to thee i think it would have gone for an ultimately more creepy ending yeah that would have been that would have been a lot darker yeah and i think that as we watch the trailer it's like shocking creepy (laughs) you never really get that but yeah an ending like that then you got it exactly exactly so yeah again like i i think it's trying to outdo that beginning scene because like like you said you sent me the message because you asked if I had even watched it yet and I said I hadn't and you're like damn that that first scene and I'm like all right and and then even though that's I knew something was going to happen 
when she pulls the gun out and just puts it in her mouth and blows her brains out, I was like, what the fuck? You yeah, know? It, it was just so quick. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was definitely like not what I was expecting at all to happen. Like I knew something was going to happen, but it wasn't that. And it wasn't like that quick, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like expecting more like maybe a car accident or something like that where it was just like, oh, shit. Um, but and that's another thing that I liked about them drawing out the death of the mom in uh, Barricade. Yeah. Is you don't, you, you kind of get, I, I don't know if you picked up on it, is you kind of thought that the dad might have killed her at one point. Oh, see, I never, I never did. I thought, um, I thought more it was like a, a seizure um, that she just had an episode and, and died. Um, I still, there, there's a little inconsistency and this is a bit of a goof, um, because you see the scar on his thumb on the outer side of his hand. But when he is, uh, when she slips and falls, he cuts the palm of his hand. And I was like, maybe he cut both. Oh, but you never see his palm. So like there is supposed to be some importance because like I even, I distinctly thought, um, and I think I remember thinking this when I first watched it, I thought she bit his hand, like, while he was trying to, like, resuscitate her or something, that that was what caused the scar. Obviously, it's not in the size of a bite mark or anything like that. But, um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, yeah, you can leave that into interpretation of maybe he killed his wife or obviously something happened. And him being, I think he is an actual therapist or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um because he talks about having patience and, yeah. and whatnot um, and not having time for the kids. And there is this sense of jealousy he has for his wife because she seemed to always be good at everything, taking care of the kids, baseball. And in fact, he even says, like, I can't think of one thing that she wasn't good at. And the son says, well, she can't sing. And he's like, yeah, but neither could I. So it's like even at the one thing that she wasn't good at, he wasn't good at either. So there is this kind of sense of jealousy um, and also the sense of, I don't know how to take care of these kids without her. Yeah. And a lot of that, I feel like plays in the films and yet he's still trying to do enough for them. Uh, I mean, obviously he, um, plans to have as a secret, the, the Christmas tree and decoration set up and everything. And, uh, yeah, I just, there's something I like more about it. And you know me, I, I love a lot of low budget horror. Um, there's, there's something about, the effort they put into it, um, like like David's shorts that we've watched, you know, he there's more of this thrill, more of this want to uh, explore or try things or or be innovative. And I can't help but having seen um, Barricade first and then watching The Lodge, not that it's a cheap impersonation, but it's it's uh, it feels like it's taking that story because there are so many similar elements um and trying to create now i'm not saying like the writers and the directors stole from this movie or anything like that it's very possible to have same similar ideas and and executing it differently but i just feel like with what barricade set up to do it succeeded and what lodge set up to do it didn't fully play out for me so whereas i i'm so like i like the fact that everything ended up grounded in realism and barricade I would have preferred that the lodge would have tried to present it more like even the way it did where the kids finally come out and say, Hey, yeah, we were, you know, messing with you. 
but still maybe have been in purgatory or something like that, you know, where it still kept that supernatural element that even the kids weren't aware of that this happened. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know if I have any other thoughts. Uh, Do you have any final closing thoughts? Uh, Another part of the lodge where it kind of didn't work out was when they were like looking for the stuff. Yeah. I feel like she would have been able to find it. Yeah, they didn't really hide it that convincingly. They I mean it was just in like the basement or the cellar. Like yeah. it was behind a panel that didn't even fit over the hole the whole way. Yeah. So yeah, it just and I and I also I mean I get it, like I wouldn't know how to go necessarily operate a generator right right off the bat. But I wouldn't necessarily rely on one of the kids to be like, Oh yeah, it, it doesn't work. I'd be like, all right. I'm coming down with you. Show me how to start it. I'll try to start it myself. You know? Women in horror film logic. True. And, <laughs> I mean, I'm not a huge... Like I said, like, I, Riley Coe, or however you say her last name, I, I've only seen her in small things. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of her, but I did enjoy her performance a lot in the movie. I think she was very convincing. Um, I just think that there were elements that needed to be either, again thoroughly explained or just entirely removed like the dream where she wakes up and she's out in the uh snow and then she falls in and her dad is you know reaching up to grab her from the water like it was a cool beautiful scene but it makes no sense yeah it didn't really provide any context or anything right whereas like with even the dream elements of of uh barricade at least a lot of it gets explained. Like a lot of the stuff that he sees uh, that he thinks is the creature or, or the person um, we get those all kind of revealed and we see them happening in real time at the end of the film. And you're like, okay, in context, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that's why in my opinion, barricade does it better. Your opinion, the lodge is better. At least we have a very differing view on these two films because mm-hmm. we can't always agree on everything. Otherwise, we'd be boring podcasts, right? And it's still <laughs> a little bit boring. But. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, with our, our, our probably like 10 audience members. <laughs> but All 10. Uh, well, you know, I've been meaning to kind of do this a little bit of an announcement. Um, and I, I've been wanting to do it with you here because I know you and I have been the ones talking about it. Um, but you know, kind of our plans going into, uh, the end of the year into next year is to actually launch a YouTube, um, kind of ability, uh, um, I'm I'm not really even thinking of the perfect term for it, but companion, a YouTube companion, that's, that's it to the podcast where we're going to try to add video elements to it, um, and kind of launch our own little network where we're going to have a group of shows um each hosted by different people and uh, a group show that'll probably be on a friday or saturday night depending on honestly me because i'm so finicky on on time and schedules um to where we can start you know expanding out more and 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 uh giving out more content i know um one of the things that you and i've talked about doing is streaming some video game content and think uh, I want to do uh, Red Dead Online with that um, because I want to play online, but I don't like playing online with people I don't know. Um, so we'll see how that all goes. But uh, it's definitely in the works. We definitely want to get more equipment together. We're working on getting a, a kind of a recording studio 
uh, together at some point and get some mics and some uh, better hardware and, and recording material and uh, make this a real grade podcast. Some quality. Some I quality. Th- yeah, maybe. We'll see. Can't all rely on content. Need some actual equipment. <laughs> this is true. We need a soundboard. We need uh, we need legitimate mics, uh, a legitimate setup than just what we got right now. But, you know, that's all going to be some time. It's going to be some money that we're going to invest into it. We got some stuff that we need to set up first. Uh, you know, we want to kind of set up our own little LLC for, for us so we can have a group. Uh, kind of come together and uh, maybe add some Patreon content when we get a Patreon up and running. And uh, I know uh, I got to school you on something after we're done here so we can, uh, cause we want to, I want to do more commentary tracks. Uh, we had fun when we were watching uh choppy mall for the first week of Joe Bob's uh, drive-in and just riffing on lines of the movies and having fun doing it, you know, mystery, Mr. Science Theater 3000 style. Uh, we even made it more enjoyable for your fiance who was sitting there listening to us talk about it. Um, so, but there's there's some complications in on how we can actually do it. I know you want to do a video element to it, which I don't know will quite work out, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see talk what about we can that. Do. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, we I know we stretched this end out just a little bit, but uh, if you're not following us on Twitter or Facebook, you can follow us on Twitter at Critics NT Cynics. And you can just follow the podcast at Critics Not Cynics uh, podcast on Facebook, even though I'm really bad at posting over there. I really need to get somebody to run our social media. <laughs> just anyone that's willing to do it for free, reach out to us at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. Uh, be greatly appreciated. It'd be greatly appreciated. And if we were to start making money at some point uh, off this podcast, it will be uh, reciprocated. So, um, But right now we're doing this all on our own money and budget and time. Pro bono. Pro bono. Ah, look at you with the fancy words. Are you a lawyer or something? I wish I'd have money to pay for better equipment already. This is true. <laughs> and no time to record. Also true. Um, but also, yeah, we're still, uh, we still need to get up to uh, 10 reviews and ratings on iTunes before we do our Joker giveaway. I'm ready to get rid of that stinking 4K digital copy code, but uh, we're still sitting at 7 right now. So if you are already reviewed us, thank you. Uh, but if you can get you know, the word out there, spread this podcast around to your friends. Uh, be greatly appreciated. Uh, appreciated. And you can follow us on iTunes at, you know, the Critics Not Cynics podcast. Uh, we're also on SoundCloud. Um, no, we're not on SoundCloud. We might be getting back on SoundCloud. I'm, I'm currently in a thought process about that. Uh, but we're on Podbean and uh, Google Play and Spotify. Uh, so we will see you guys next time.